First, though, as you've been hearing in the news, uh, the shootings in Metro Vancouver these past few days, uh, full investigations going on. And we've learned a little bit more about the 29-year-old man who was shot outside that busy shopping center near 72nd Avenue and Scott Road on Saturday. We know it is 29-year-old Bikram Deep Randawa and that he was a corrections worker. And still many, many questions in that case. Uh, but one of the questions being asked is, is that shooting related to any of the other shootings we've seen in recent days and weeks in Metro Vancouver? Well, joining me to talk more about that is Cal Dosange, who is the CEO of the Kids Play Youth Foundation. He also has had a lengthy career in law enforcement. Cal Dosange, thank you so much for being with us and for joining us to talk about this today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. When you look at what's been happening as far as the shootings this past weekend, uh, I know going back to the shooting that took place uh, on a Saturday night outside of Cardero's in Vancouver, what's your response to this, what appears to be uh, heightened violence? It's remarkably disturbing. I mean, over the course of my 21 years in law enforcement, there's going to be peaks and valleys uh, in street-level violence as it pertains to the drug and gang war. And with the toppling of a high-level figure a few weeks ago, I mean, obviously there's going to be a ripple effect and repercussions to that. So the subsequent homicides that came thereafter uh, came as no surprise. But for such a brazen daylight shooting, especially to happen in a high-density area such as the Walmart parking lot, where at 4 p.m. on a Saturday there's families walking with their kids, it is remarkably disturbing that it wouldn't have taken much for a stray bullet to kill an innocent person. And while we're still waiting for details of that, uh, talking uh, about the, the Scottsdale Centre shooting to details uh, as far as links to ongoing gang conflict, conflict uh, is it, I mean, is there another explanation? Do you think, do we need to wait for that, that level of, um, uh, for, for somebody to make that connection? Or is it pretty, looking at that, it, does it not have the trademarks of ongoing gang violence? Well, overall, I mean, from a cursory um first blush glimpse. I mean, it would seem obvious that there's some level of connection here, but the more disturbing news that emerged yesterday, from what I've learned, that it was a corrections officer uh, and a case of mistaken identity, possibly. So it's just, I mean, when it hits that close to home in your backyard, and especially someone that's employed in a professional law enforcement capacity, uh, that's the victim of such a high-level, street-level hit, uh, it's disturbing. And as she generates a lot of questions, but more importantly than that, uh, law enforcement has always done a tremendous job uh, with respect to identifying these individuals and subsequently bringing charges thereafter. And like you said, too, still waiting to find out more details. Was this a case of mistaken identity? Was the fact that this person, uh, a corrections officer, part of this uh, at all? So still a lot of questions there, uh, certainly more so than if we look back to uh, the, the Cardero shooting. We look back to uh, or people, uh, yeah, the, the shooting where we knew quite quickly there were ties to, to the Brothers Keepers gang. Uh, we had ties to the United Nations gang and, and very what could be you know, kind of connect the dots gang ties. Absolutely. Uh, in some cases, it is remarkably obvious and transparent and crystal clear that the individuals that were targeted, it was not a random hit, that it was a very a surgical precision hit uh, where they wanted to take that person out. But what ends up happening when you take out an upper echelon uh, top tier figure like that is not only does it create a power vacuum where it results in some infighting, but there's also the retaliatory aspect of it uh, where these individuals are now seeking retribution uh, because it is a full-out gang war. 
there's these different gangs that are operating in their compartmentalized silos and that control different geographical areas. They're, so they're very territorial. But there's always um, these individuals engaging in these types of street-level violence to take more control, more power, which at the end of the day means more money. Because on account of uh, what I've been seeing lately, uh, the demand is there uh, for the drugs. And so somebody has to provide that supply. And so these guys are fighting amongst them, one another to take more control of that piece of pie. Uh, your organization, Kids Play, uh, the Kids Play Foundation, uh, you're focused on preventing uh, younger people from getting involved in gangs. So when you see this level of violence and this number of shootings, how do you get that message or, or how does it uh, how does it play into getting that message across to young people? Because we can't wait to be reactive. We can't afford to. Now, with law enforcement, it's a reactive form of policing because a situation happens, an incident happens, we go there, we investigate, we identify, and we subsequently bring charges. And if the charge is successful, it results in a conviction. But are we going to wait to that juncture? Or can we take the appropriate steps now with respect to insulating these kids by providing them education and awareness of the pitfalls of that lifestyle if you do decide to go down that trajectory and path? And so education is extremely important to me. I'm a huge proponent of that, where I believe that's going to be conducive to facilitating real significant change, and that's where the real social impact comes from. Uh, we're talking about this as well. Uh, a week after uh, we were talking about, uh, certainly in the news, uh, the stories of in Vancouver and New Westminster, uh, the school liaison officer program uh, being cancelled. D- do you think that's going to have an impact, or was that uh, a way that was also effective in reaching young people? Uh, it was tremendously uh, effective, tremendously successful program. Day in and day out, I would constantly hear stories of school liaison officers that were really connecting with these kids, building rapport, building these communication bridges, where these kids would learn to trust these individuals with their stories. It was a SLO officer, a school liaison officer, just a couple of weeks who said to me a couple of weeks ago that said to me that it is a huge loss because there was a lot of situations that happened within the school, uh, the sphere of the school and the domain of it, that would not necessarily uh, come to the purview of the call board where officers would not be assigned to respond to those kind of calls because they were everyday kind of calls where these kids would turn to the officer and say, hey, listen, here's what hap- here's what's happening at home. I could sure use your help. And that officer would step it up and then help that family, which would uh, adequately resolve that situation. You're not going to find that anymore. And I think removing these officers from the school, uh, it's going to be a, a tremendous mistake, which would come obvious soon enough. Right, because in a scenario like that, like the one you just described, that's probably not a case where, uh, with the the lack of a, an SLO, is that student going to reach out to somebody else? Are they going to call somebody else? Would they have those resources? 100%. And so the two things that we say that gets these kids into that gang lifestyle in the first place is acceptance and identity. Now, if they're not finding that acceptance at home or within the school setting or a positive constructive outlet, they're finding in a destructive setting, like a gang uh, gang-style brotherhood, or for that matter, identity. And normally, they find identity in the school setting as part of a school team, as part of a sports team. Now, they're going to be seeking that identity in these destructive settings. Now, where the SLOs came in is that they would help these kids embrace their identity, help them with that acceptance within the positive school setting. And so, like I said, it's going to become tremendously obvious and transparent that removing officers uh, that were important 
important variable in that equation, uh, it's a tremendous mistake. And I think the repercussions of that will become fairly transparent soon enough. And just to to touch again on what we saw this past weekend and the shootings that we've seen in the past few weeks, what does that do as far as younger people who may be drawn into or towards a gang lifestyle? Does it help show how violent it is, how dangerous it is, or does it do anything to, to try and dissuade somebody from joining? Yes and no. Uh, because there's a lot of young individuals that I've spoken to uh, that have this brazen uh, attitude that, hey, you know what, it comes with the territory, that's the nature of the beast, and we accept that lifestyle if we're going to go into it. But sure, it does have a deterrent component to it where a lot of these young kids that were considering that lifestyle, and now all of a sudden uh, they're in a busy parking lot out Walmart, and now there's a body lying on the floor uh, on the ground, and he's obviously dead from gunshot wounds. That's a very sobering uh, and wake-up call. And if that doesn't open your eyes, I don't know what will. But mind you, we have ex-gang members and ex-drug dealers that have left that lifestyle now that are part of the Kids Play Drug and Gang Education team who use their personal experiences to connect with these kids and teach them, hey, listen, we know that society as a whole and law enforcement is telling you don't do drugs, stay out of the lifestyle. We're reinforcing that message. We've been there. We've done that. And we've seen it. And it is not worth the money. All right. Cal DeSange, we'll have to leave it there for today. But thanks so much for joining us to talk more about this. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, as you've likely been hearing in the news, quality concerns over Canada's batch of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine has prompted the nation's health agency to hold back the rollout of that shot just days before we were expecting to see Johnson & Johnson put into use. Uh, This was announced on Friday. Health Canada saying it is holding back the vaccine because there are potentially, it was revealed that the batch was made in the same Baltimore plant where millions of other doses meant for use in the United States had spoiled. So out of an abundance of caution, making that decision to hold back those doses. So what does that mean for the vaccine rollout in this country? Let's bring in Dr. Horacio Bach, adjunct professor at the Division of Infectious Diseases with uh, at UBC. Uh, Dr. Bach, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure, and thank you for the invitation. Uh, We found out on Friday that there were concerns over Canada's batch of Johnson & Johnson. We've now seen Denmark, I think, the first country that is halting use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine as well. Uh, What are your thoughts on this glitch in vaccine rollout? Yeah, so um, the, the point here is that the reason that Denmark stopped the rollout and um, Canada stopped are completely different. It's not, they're not linked each other. So Canada decided to stop because a report from the FDA from U.S. that they inspected the facility where Johnson & Johnson is making part of the ingredients they found out that uh, there are some issues with sanitation, uh, debris, peeling, paint that, uh, you know, for these types of facilities, not acceptable. These facilities are, must be super clean because they are, you know, products that we use in medicine, is specifically injectable, so they have a very, very uh, a high level of standards. So what uh, Canada is doing now, and, you know, with the great reason is to stop because it looks like one of the active ingredients that is in the vaccine 
was after that process in another um, factory of the company and those we receive. So I think it's very important to stop and make sure that these uh, doses are not uh, uh, contaminated with something, maybe dust, maybe bacteria, so you don't want to inject to people something that is contaminated. The same when you go to the hospital and you get, you know, your, your uh, uh, fluid by, you know, through the vein cannot be contaminated. So uh, in the case of Denmark, where the reason they stop is because they continue with these four cases that they have with blood clothing. And the reason I think is more like a preventable because they say that in Denmark, the, the, the rollout of vaccination is very good. The population is, uh, you know, following all the, the, the guidelines and is basically controlled. The COVID-19 is controlled. So at this point, they say, why I have to take a risk if Moderna and Pfizer are doing great, but AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson, they have these uh, reported cases of uh, blood clotting that are still in investigation. So uh, they said apparently that they don't need to have more types of vaccine because Moderna and Pfizer is good enough. So that's the reason they put um, now Johnson & Johnson, but previously they did with AstraZeneca uh, on the side. And then they, I, I, I guess they will keep in case that there is any emergency. But right now they're focusing on uh, Moderna and Pfizer. Right. Now, when we talk about uh, that batch out of the United States, and as you mentioned, uh, it wasn't up to the facility, it wasn't up to the right standard. I guess on the one hand, people should be reassured that those checks and balances are in place uh, exactly to catch something like this. Uh, But with that, in addition to what we're seeing in Denmark, uh, do you think that there there are concerns now that this could lead uh, to people having an increase when it comes to vaccine hesitancy? You know, I think it's um, we are seeing the same cases. You know, you are talking about, again, a very, very few rare cases in millions of people vaccinated. So the chances are extremely low. And I think from the last, uh, um, um, info, the last information I read that the, the number of people they want to get no matter what vaccine is just increasing when you compare last December to April. It means that the people they want to get the vaccine no matter what they get. Because again, no matter what, you are more uh, uh, the risk of um, getting COVID-19 compared to the, this rare clotting is very, very different. So it's better to have the vaccine instead to wait or, you know, in case you may have this. Uh, uh, just to bring another point also, the risk, you know, to, to get an accident or, or die from an accident is much higher than the risk that you may have about this uh, blood clotting. So in the case of the uh, accidents, we're talking about 10 per 100,000. And in the case of the this uh, rare uh, blood clotting that you're talking about one in 250,000. So, you know, it's we have to put in proportion here what, what are the risks. Do you think as well, though, is it unfortunate that we're, we're seeing this uh, these two uh, issues with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because people may have been uh, looking forward to a single shot vaccine. If you don't like needles, you don't like, uh, it would be better to get it over with in, in one uh, visit to the pharmacy or to the doctor. Or is it unfortunate that we're seeing this happen with the only vaccine at this point that is a one shot uh, vaccine? Yeah, that's correct. I think it's more related to the to the factory. You know, it's not something that they, uh, and I know that uh, pro, uh, the, this FDA, they have a continuous uh, monitoring of these facilities to make sure that 
you know, you don't sell something that is bad. Just figure out if this patch is contaminated and you you uh, pu- uh, you inject the dose and you get a lot of diseases based on that. So that would be a big deal. So that's a reason it's very important to control and and monitor every 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 uh, batch that is going out. That's a, what is called the QC, the quality control that all these companies they have. And uh, but uh, that is more in the production. And you know, peeling paint or uh, 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 debris, it's 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 a problem that uh, you know they need to take care of that. I mean, in the company. But um, I think still the the the, the vaccine is safe. And, you know, needs to be administered no matter what. But now it's, you know, on hold with the reason that they should check that everything is, uh, you know, sterile, is not contaminated. That's very important as well. And, you know, I agree what the Canada did because it's, you don't want to inoculate again uh, people with a contaminated vaccine. Right. Uh, what do you think this will do with the rollout? Uh, as you mentioned, we are still uh, anticipating and going to be getting other uh, batch or other uh, shipments of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Do you think this will have an impact, though, as far as getting us uh, to a p- point where we can get some some kind of normal life back? Yeah, I don't think it will be an impact because I understand we will receive a lot of uh, doses very soon from Pfizer. And uh, what I understand, you know, from the, the, the rest of the world, basically, that Canada, although we started very, very slow, but we are catching up very fast now. And even they mentioned that, uh, I mean, the reports mentioned that by end of, I think it's May, probably everyone in the in Canada will have at least one shot. That is That is great. And, you know, it's a continue to keep the guideline, uh, to follow the guidelines. And until, you know, we start to be more and more vaccinated and what we will reach, what we call the healthy immunity means that the, about the, you know, depends on the country, 60 to 80 percent is considered that probably the level of uh, people sick with COVID until will be very low. And then that's the, the kind of green light, you know, to start to uh, um, lift the restrictions. We'll leave it there for today. Uh, Dr. Bach, always great to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us to talk more about this. Thank you very much. You have a great day. Thanks for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Well, my next guest was able to catch somebody on security cameras, actually tagging the business. It's a Kitsilano business with graffiti. Happened on Friday night, and joining me to talk more about what exactly took place is Carla Duncan, the president of TR Trades. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. Hi, and good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Very well. How about you? Good, good, thank you. Uh, so first of all, what kind of a business do you have in Kitsilano? Uh, TR Trades Reproduction, we're a large family printing company. So we do printing for most of the businesses in Vancouver here. And what happened on Friday night? Well, on Friday night, it looks like a gentleman pulled into our back alley, just kind of walked up. And he tagged our back loading dock with his, his tag that says Z-O-E Zoe. Um, but the funny thing is, is that he actually set up his camera first so he could record himself tagging our loading dock. Um, and I guess he didn't notice that there was a camera that was kind of right, right front and center right on his face. Uh, yeah, and, and I took a look at the video that you posted as well in hopes I, I, I'm thinking that somebody maybe will recognize this person. But it did, it did seem strange that he was recording himself doing this. Yeah, it's a little bit disturbing, you know, that, that people um, think it's funny or that it's exciting or they're going to get publicity from destroying someone's property. 
What kind of a response have you gotten since sharing the video? Um, you know, we just put it online a couple hours, so I haven't looked too closely. Um, but but I hope people will take it seriously and take a look to see if they can identify the guy. And the, the fact that you did have the security camera there would uh, would hint at perhaps there have been issues with crime or issues in the past. Uh, did you have to put up the camera because there had been other issues? Yeah, there has been. One of my staff had a scooter stolen outside my back loading dock, actually, and people are notorious for vandalizing the, the alleys up and forth. Up forth. That's, that's got to be frustrating. You know, it, it, it is really frustrating, you know, um, and it's just it's very immature of people right now. You know, the businesses are struggling enough right now in Kitsilano that they don't need to come in Monday morning and, and have to deal with their property being destroyed or vandalized by, you know, a young kid that thinks this is funny. Uh, have you had other than as far as uh, theft and such, have you had other issues, though, with people leaving graffiti or tagging your business? Yes, I have had people, you know, graffiti the back, loading dock before, um, and my buildings and my doors, and that's why we put the cameras up in the first place. And you would think that it would deter people from doing this, but clearly not in this case. (sighs) Clearly the guy just did not even look up, you know, six inches. You know, he obviously was one track, and he, he didn't look around his vision. Uh, what about other businesses? I know you just posted this video today, but have you talked to other business owners in the area that are also dealing with this kind of thing? Um, you know, not personally, but I did take a walk up and down the alley, the block um, to the east and then to the west of me. And the same person that tagged my building has his tags on multiple different different buildings all up and down the alleys. I see. I saw at least 10 of them when I was just walking around. Hmm. And as a business owner, then, what kind of a cost is uh, do you then have to take on to get rid of this? Well, basically, it's a bottle of spray paint. You know, you have to go up there and, and get rid of it. Um, so that would be a quick fix. But eventually, we'll probably paint the, the full loading dock just so it all matches in one color. So, you know, it could be $250, $300, plus your labor, um, you know, to do it. So it's... It's not something any business owner wants to do. No, and we were talking about this as well on the show last week. We were talking with the Strathcona Business Owners Association in what was happening with Strathcona Park and a huge increase in graffiti in that area as well that just kind of came up in the conversation. And she was saying too, much like what you just said, that so many businesses are struggling right now just to stay in business, to have this added cost. is just not that it's ever welcome, but it's just so much more difficult right now. Absolutely. It's like kicking someone when they're already down, you know, it's like, what, there's no need for this. And that's why, that's why I reached out to you guys. And that's why I would like to find this person because they're obviously doing it to other businesses in the area. As I said, I, I already saw 10 and I, I think they should be, um, you know, put on a stand and made an example of, and, and they should pay for it. You know, he should come down and clean my loading dock. It's not my job. It's his. I want to find him, and, you know, he should be charged. Do you report something like this every time it happens to police? You know, I I don't, but that's why, because I, I haven't had a camera before, so it would be really hard to find out who did it. But that's why we put the camera up. So now that we have the footage, um, you know, we will reach out to the police and we will share it with them. Because, uh, again, I'm looking at the at the footage. At first, I thought he was wearing a mask, but then when you look at it, I think it's the it's the shadow from his baseball cap. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's hard to tell. But somebody should know, or, or hopefully will know, I would imagine, who this person is. I think so, especially if he's recording himself doing, 
you know, the tagging, then I, I have a feeling he's probably reposting it online somewhere and someone might recognize it. And anything else as far as it just must feel like it's just and I'm watching it too. And, and I think we've put it on our website so people can take a look at this as well. It's just infuriating, I think. And people will be angry for you in that here you are a business owner and he just so nonchalantly walks up, does this and then walks away as if it's the most normal thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. And what's disturbing as well is that he's recording it, you know, and he's doing it for some sort of publicity, um, you know, that that I'll never understand. Uh, Well, I hope you get response from other businesses. Like you said, you've seen other businesses being tagged with the the same tag. So it's the same Mm -hmm. uh, person doing this. Hopefully uh, there is an update and this person gets caught. Uh, Carla, thanks for coming on, though, and uh, joining us and talking more about this today. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, it was certainly a beautiful weekend. I know a lot of people got outdoors, were enjoying the sunshine, and that means that more people are going hiking, taking in the great outdoors, and that's going to continue for the next few months. So let's check in with the BC Mountaineering Club president, Chris Ludwig, who joins me on the line now. Thanks so much for being with us. Good afternoon, Jill. Uh, your group has put out a call or would like to see an end to the day pass that was brought in, uh, the system that was brought in for a few of the parks uh, last year. What are your concerns about the day pass program? Um, based on, on the way it worked last summer is um, there were a number of major issues. One, in terms of the software, just the fact that you could only book the morning of. So when people would book uh, or attempt to book uh, a day pass for a given park or trail in the morning um, at 6 o'clock and they'd suddenly find that it was full, they'd have to make plans to do something else. So they'd end up displaced, uh, and the numbers displaced were in the thousands, and they were displaced to trails like the ones we manage on Crown Land. And often those trails were not as beginner-friendly as those in the provincial park. So we you know, very much encountered uh, hikers that were beginners who were now on trails that were not so beginner. So uh, I think that displacement is problematic. And the other aspect that is problematic is that there is no uh, sort of methodology. The, the numbers chosen, the, the caps, are very much or were very much arbitrary and we're concerned that there still hasn't been um, uh, a solid explanation or rationale for the numbers chosen even in this second reiteration of it. Right. So in these uh, these parks, the six, uh, I guess, most popular provincial parks, uh, as you mentioned, uh, hikers had to get up. I think it was at 6 a.m. that you had to get up and hopefully uh, be able to get a day pass for these parks. Uh, do you think it's changed now, too, in that we've learned a lot more about how COVID-19 spreads and the concerns are crowding, mainly crowding indoors? Uh, I would imagine in these cases, uh, the biggest concerns would probably be parking lots, not the actual trails themselves. Well, well, both. Um, I, I think also, um, while it came in under sort of COVID-19, there was, I think, the main impetus behind it was dealing with the massive explosion in demand for outdoor recreation. Um, I think that the time just happened to go together so um, that uh, there was a need to try to control I guess, the numbers in areas. Um, uh, however, it wasn't applied consistently. So, for instance, in Garibaldi Park, you might see the day pass applied to Elfin and to Rebel Creek, but not applied to Wedgemount or Seam Pass. So there was inconsistency, there was a lack of methodology, uh, and that led to 
you know, a lot of confusion and displacement. So, uh, you know, I think the trick with government policies, it needs to be based on a good rationale and it needs to be applied consistently. Uh, So what would have happened last year if somebody had gone hiking in one of these areas and didn't have a day pass? Uh, In theory, you could be uh, get a a, a ticket turned away, uh, certainly. Um, And, uh, you know, that's in my opinion, I'd rather see the money rather than going to people checking passes and gatekeepers. I'd rather see that money going into some new trail work uh, because we haven't added to the trail inventory uh, in in decades in our in our local six parks that we're talking about. And that's the fundamental problem: is there's too much demand and and too little capacity. And this has been a problem in the making for decades. And putting a pass system on does nothing to to alleviate that growing problem. Uh, because, as you mentioned, too, uh, there has been a huge uh, increase when it comes to people going outdoors. I mean, people aren't traveling internationally really right now. And we are being told that it's uh, good for mental health to get outside and safe to do so. So not a huge surprise that there are more people using the existing uh, park network. Well, it's part of a larger trend, too, that is for years. Each year, the number of outdoor recreationals has been increasing at double the rate of the population growth of the GVRD annually. Uh, so that um, has created, and that combined with COVID, it really did create the perfect storm. But this is something that's been in the making for decades. So we've seen that Joffrey Lakes for the building up over the years. Um, so we need to, we invest so much money provincially into promoting tourism. The vehicle that creates the opportunity for those tourism dollars uh, and activity is the trail network. And we invest such a small pittance into that compared to the literally billion dollars we spend into promoting tourism, which I think is a real uh, missed opportunity and a shame. Hmm. Uh, when you were finding or when members of the Mountaineering Club then were coming upon people that had gone to other trails because they couldn't get day passes to those six parks, uh, what was that like as far as were people realized, did they realize that they were uh, kind of ill-prepared for that or they stumbled onto this not knowing that it was going to be more intermediate or, or more difficult, I guess, than they anticipated? Well, an exact story. I, I do lead organi- and organize volunteer trail building crews in a trail water sprite which is across the valley from elfin which is one of the popular day pass trails and we'd run into people on the trail who you know were more suited to that kind of situation than a more rugged trail backcountry trail like water sprite that we work on and i asked one gentleman i said you know why did you come out here today he said i had nowhere else to go Uh, and that was you know uh that's a big issue so there is a mass user displacement happening from the the parks that in those trails that can handle the numbers and by them capping into these quite arbitrary low numbers it's causing thousands of people to be displaced to areas like what we maintain and it's i see an unfair offloading of the mandate and responsibility of bc parks to provide recreation opportunities onto us volunteer organizations um and uh, I, I don't think that's a fair Uh, Do you think there should be any kind of reservation system at all, or should it be kind of first come, first serve? I think we need to look at what's happening, say, uh, for decades with the Discovery Pass system in Washington State. Um, It's comprehensive. All the money goes back into the system of trail building, and it covers, like, all the trails. It's a a yearly pass. I just think that this has come out too quick uh, with a lack of thinking, a lack of planning. It was kind of brought in knee-jerk under COVID and 
it really needs to be better thought through. Um, so if a, a, a day pass or a, a year pass plans to be brought in, it needs to have good uh, research and scientific planning behind it, which this is not. Uh, and that's why it's failed um, last time was because of a lack of planning. Right. Uh, do you think, though, something like the Washington State one, and, and I recall going there once, obviously I didn't have a, a yearly pass because I was not a resident there, but but there's also boxes set up where you can leave money. You can fill out the envelope and you can pay uh, for your day use or the pay to go into the park. And, it, and it's basically an honor system uh, unless you get stopped by a park ranger. Uh, do you think people would be willing to pay for that, though? And like you mentioned, if they knew for sure that that money was going to go into park maintenance? I think it's a better sell. I, I remember there was an attempt to put parking meters in provincial parks many years ago under a previous provincial government, and it was very poorly received because that money went to general revenue. Uh, I think it's a easier sell if it, that money would go directly into the trails and to rangers. Um, uh, and that I think that's the important part. But the very, very least we should be focusing on, I mean, so they, BC Park spent $900,000 on a software uh, from last summer that couldn't take a day in advance booking, couldn't take cancellations. I mean, that would have bought a lot of new trail. Yeah. And like you mentioned, too, uh, the 6 a.m., while that might sound early for a lot of people, I'm guessing there are also a lot of people that are on the road before then and on their way uh, the day of. Then they would have to either stop and pull over and try and book or or, or I don't even know what they would do. Well, typically, you plan a hike days ahead of time. We encourage people to plan ahead, to bring the essentials. Uh, we want people to plan their trips days ahead and have all their gear and their partners and their plan all sorted out, not to be fumbling around at six or seven in the morning trying to figure it out. That kind of goes against the education message we're trying to send. Uh, and I think it, it does pr- pr- create some safety issues where someone's, say, switching from Elfin Lakes to Water Sprite, which we maintain and which is more rugged suddenly at the last minute, and they're you know not fully prepared for it. It's a longer, more difficult hike. Um you know, I, I, I think there's some problems with that. Uh, the ministry in charge, the Ministry of the Environment, uh, has said that it was an effective tool to manage that growing demand. Have you had any response to your call, to uh, your your objection to this, or saying that you would like to see it scrapped? Well, I would say it depends on how you define effective. If it uh, means that uh, transferring uh, the ministry's responsibility to provide uh, recreation within the parks, artificially capping the numbers and than having other places trashed that aren't handled, environmentally trashed and damaged that aren't designed for that. I mean, effective for who? I would say it's highly ineffective, but it might be ineffective effective at basically keeping people out of the parks and uh, not basically uh, fulfilling one's mandate as a, as a government ministry. <laughs> Being <laughs> harsh and honest. No, that's, that is fine. So I'm guessing yeah, you haven't heard a response from them? Uh, no, I have not on that one. No. Um, so I have heard one response in one newspaper said, well, for the most part, it worked. And I would say it worked for who? The, we did a survey and uh, four out of five uh, users wanted scrapped and did not like the day pass system. So uh, when I hear terms like it worked, the question is for who? Did it work for some bureaucrats in offices or did it actually work for the hikers and the, and the rangers? And I would say it didn't work for the public or the, the rangers. So who is it working for? All right. So we will leave it there for today. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and talking more about this. Thank you for your time.